Well, in case you don't know, we're in the book of Isaiah. I invite you to turn in your pew Bibles, if you didn't bring a Bible. It's pew Bible, page 604. And um, our passage isn't all that long. We're looking at Isaiah 43, uh, beginning in verse 22. And then we're going into the next chapter, verse 5. Last week I began by relaying a story of my childhood friend whose dad bought him a beautiful old 1965 Mustang convertible that needed a little bit of work, and they, his father restored it. The story illustrated how we all need reformation, a renewal that only God can do. Today I'd like to build upon that illustration with the question, what good is it to have a fully restored car but old tainted gasoline in the tank? Today's passage is about God's gasoline for restored lives, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Last week, we looked at how the love of God reforms us. Today, we look at how the love of God revives us. See, we need more than just God to work upon us. We need his Holy Spirit working in us. As I read our passage, try to get a sense of God's promised work of revival in his people. 43, verse 22. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied, wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned, and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. But now, hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, who I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour out on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I'll pour water. And I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will call on the name of Jacob and another will write on his hand, the Lord's. And the name, uh, and name himself by the name of Israel. This is the word of God, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this word to us. It is both um, a condemnation, but also a release. We thank you that by your spirit, you give life to your word, and by your spirit, you implant your word in your people, and we confess we need that this morning. We are in need of nothing short of your revival in us. Help us towards that end, we pray. Amen. 
I once heard Timothy Keller uh, talk about a Coke machine that he had in his apartment building. It was a fussy Coke machine. You would drop coins in, and you could hear them rattle inside, but then when you pushed the button, no Coke can came out. But if you jostled the Coke machine a little bit, you could hear the coins as they dropped all the way down, and then push the button, and the can would be dispensed. Keller says the gospel is a lot like that. As Christians, God's grace comes into us, but like that Coke machine, it only enters in so far. But then with a little jostling, the coins drop all the way, and it marvelously changes everything for us. That is what Isaiah is showing us today, the revival of God in the people of God by the Spirit of God. Now, most Christians know of the Holy Spirit. The coin of understanding has entered in, but we all, myself included, need the coin to drop all the way. Then we will not just understand that the Spirit dwells in us, but we will see how utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit we are for everything. And therefore, we will delight to give him free reign in our lives. In our text, God promised a day when he would pour out his spirit upon his people and it would have the effect similar to being water being poured out on a thirsty land that causes weeping willow trees to rise up tall. This, my friend, is revival. The spirit of God and the people of God empowering them to live freely with great joy before God. Today we look closely at this revival work of God this revival work of God, listen, it's available to us all who call upon the name of the Lord. My hope this morning is that we would kind of see ourselves as Coke machines, if just for a few moments. The coin of grace has entered, but now, O oh Lord, shake us until it drops all the way. And so the main proposition before us is similar to what we had last week. Because God in love revives us, let us embrace this good work. We will look at that under two headings, the problem and the remedy. First, the problem. Here's what it is. It can be hard to wrap our heads around, but it's also important that we do. Listen, the problem is that though God has given his people everything they need to live unburdened lives, lives of joy, his people are instead weary. That is what Isaiah is getting at in the first verses of our passage Chapter 43, beginning in verse 22. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have, I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquity. Now, some read this and they think that the nation must have just like stopped worshiping at the temple, but this is not true. At the same time Isaiah was writing these words, the temple was a source of great pride in Jerusalem. Every day the priests made countless sacrifices. And so then what is Isaiah describing? He's describing weary worship. Verse 22, you have been weary of me, is God's complaint. And why is this? Well, it's because their worship really wasn't about God. 
Oh, they brought sheep for burnt offerings, but their sacrifices were about themselves, not God. And to live this way is wearisome. It is actually the exact opposite of God's loving intention for the temple. In love, God gave his people the temple so that they would be set free from their sin. The, The forgiveness of God is meant to unburden sinners and draw us closer to him. But the people are burdened by it. They are weary of God, for they have turned it into something it's not. So then how can something by which God means to set us free become something that wearies his people? Because when they brought their sacrifices, they did so with the mind of controlling God, paying him off, putting God in their debt. But the problem is when we worship God to keep him off our backs or to feel good about our holiness, God does not delight in this. God says at the end of verse 24, you have wearied me with your iniquity. Which, listen, this tells us an important truth. Christian, you can do what is right and yet weary God. For example, what if my motivation for preaching this morning isn't to magnify Jesus Christ, but to hope that you think I'm a good preacher? It's all so easy, isn't it? To take something good from God and turning it into a work of man for our own glory. It's everywhere in the church, and sadly at times, even in the pulpit. The people of God that Isaiah addressed felt good about their sacrifices. They believed God saw them as good people because they did what the law required. We're here. But this approach misreads the temple. They thought they were saving themselves by doing good works that God required. But no, God corrects them and us in verses 25 through 27. Please look with me. God says, I, he repeats it, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. God insists to his people that he and he alone is the one who blots out our transgressions. In verse 26, God is asking them to come before him and plead their case, right? Put me in remembrance. I mean, let's do this. Let's let's talk about it, right? Set forth your case that you may be proved right. He wants us to try to come up with something that we've done that helped blot out our transgressions. (laughs) Just go try to search your memory. What, What good deed did you do on earth that actually earned merit before me? Nothing. God's people have always struggled with not wanting to be saved by grace, but instead wanting just enough grace to save ourselves. And so in verse 27... God points out that if you go to Ancestry.com, you will see that no one in your entire family tree has ever done some good work that merits towards self-salvation. Your first father sinned, and your mediators, all the rest after him, transgressed against me. Christian, this is not how God intends us to live. The Old Testament temple was God's loving means of unburdening his people. But they rested not in God's grace. They took the temple where God desires to draw near to his people, and they turned the worship into weary rules to keep God at a distance. 
Now, I think most of you know that the, the Old Testament sacrificial system prefigures the cross of Christ. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice that makes the temple obsolete. And so listen, how much more liberating must the cross of Christ be for God's people today? How much more rest must it offer us today? Jesus made promises that must challenge us. They cannot go in one ear and out the other this morning. He said, if the Son has set you free, you are what? Free indeed. It's not Jesus sets you free and then you work towards making sure everything's okay and free. He sets you free from all of that. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you more works to do. No, I will give you rest, rest. And yet, sadly, when you look at the church as a whole, it is full of weariness. Why? It's because we don't just need God's restoration, we need his revival. And that is because we're all still hardwired by our fallen nature, which the Bible calls what? The flesh. It's a weird word, I know. Flesh is the God-avoiding, self-promoting, peace-breaking, sinful nature that we were all born with. And listen, here's where the coin begins to drop. Even after coming to faith in Christ and having the Holy Spirit come and dwell inside of us, the sinful nature, the flesh, is still there. Listen, for the coin of God's grace to fully drop, you need to know that the old sinful nature, the flesh, still, still dwells in you. And that it is constantly at work in you to work against God's will being worked out in you. And listen, here's where the rubber hits the road. There is nothing you can do about it. Nothing. The flesh in you wants to think you can. That's the flesh. Which is why in love, God sends his spirit to revive us from all that. And when it does, it puts us at rest, full of joy. Listen, Christian, this is perhaps the issue of greatest importance in your life right now. Our tendency is to receive the, the new life of the Spirit and yet live out this new life in the old flesh. It's everywhere present. It's how we're hardwired. We wake up in the morning this way. It's unavoidable. And yet we should hate it. That was the problem with the Galatian church. Paul had the sternest of warnings for that church, one of which is in chapter 3 where he says, are you so foolish? <laughs> this is Paul talking, not me. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This is the root of the problem in Christ's church everywhere on earth being born again of the Spirit of God, but thinking we can live the Christian life in the power of our old self. Our grace groups, I love our grace groups. Our grace group 301 discipleship groups are going through what is one of perhaps one of the most important books on Christian living. It's by Andrew Murray. We've got copies on our bookshelf back there. It looks something like that. It's titled Absolute Surrender, not partial, 
<laughs> but absolute. If you're not in a 301 Grace group, get the book, prayerfully devour it, watch the coin of the gospel drop deeper and deeper into your soul. Murray makes this point. Listen, you may be a very earnest, godly, devout believer in whom the power of the flesh is yet very strong. No, that's other people, not me. This is why churches all over the world, including our own, have people who have been Christians for a long time and who love God and want to see the church prosper, but they're also angry and unforgiving, critical, lustful, judgmental, envious, all the other desires that Paul lays out in Galatians chapter 5. And so let's get close to home. Let me ask you, is there someone you're okay with not forgiving, at least, at least not just yet? then you're living in the power of the flesh. Do you have some lingering sin that you've pretty much given up battling? Then you're living in the power of the flesh. Do you find that you really don't feel like giving up your critical spirit because the more faults you find in others, the better you feel about yourself? Well, you're living in the power of the flesh. And so the coin needs to drop. And you need the revival that only God can give. Listen, the flesh in no way makes you into the person you want to be, let alone the person God wants you to be. And yet many Christians foolishly think, well, I'll strive to be holy, and if I need a little help, then I'll pray and God will help me. No. God never helps those who help themselves. God helps those who are sick and tired of helping themselves who cry out, Lord, be my all. 100% work in me, lest I fail. But the flesh wants us to live in bondage. God desires to set us free in Christ Jesus. He wants you and me to live unburdened lives, that we would not be weary, but the flesh is there. The flesh wants us to be weary with all our self-righteous criticisms of others, Weary with trying to look like we're mature Christians. Weary with trying to prove to God that we belong here. The flesh wants us to take that on. And so let me ask you, are you weary? I confess I often am. And if you confess this too, then it means our problem is beyond our fixing. And we desperately need a revival that only God can bring. That's the problem. You guys ready for the remedy? Here's the big idea with the remedy. God's people are not just saved by the work of the Holy Spirit, but each and every day we live by the work of that same Holy Spirit. Therefore, we must absolutely surrender so that God can work his will in us. When I was a youth pastor, I would have a number of students uh, that I hung out with say something like this. Hey, Mark, I want to talk to you about something. As you know, I'm struggling with this sin. It's been such a long time. I have good days and weeks, but then I struggle, and the, and the lusts just keep resurfacing, resurfacing. Tell me, is there a day coming when I'll finally get it right? What were those conversations getting at? 
Well, these young Christians assume that at some time when they got older, they will be able to exercise better self-control with their flesh and therefore be more holy. But for now, the Christian life was oh so weary. The coin hasn't dropped. They're trying to live the new life in the power of the old flesh, and sadly, that's how many adult Christians live. But Isaiah shows us that God has a day coming, which has now already come, in which he fixes our power problem. The Holy Spirit of God dwelling in God's people will be the power that we need to succeed. That's what God declares to his people in verses in the three verses um, of chapter 44. But now, remember the last message had a but now in it as well? But now, hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen, thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb, and will what? Help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground, I will pour my spirit among your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. What is God telling us here? That the remedy for our weary strivings is more and more grace to us. God promises to pour out his spirit upon his people with such lavishness that it's likened to pouring water on a thirsty land. Why on earth would you do that? It's a waste. God is gracious. Listen, let the coin drop. Understand this transformative truth. Listen, you can hear the word of God and rejoice. You can know of God's covenant love for you. You can experience the reformation of your will so that you truly do desire to do what is right. But unless the Holy Spirit freely works in you, your life will be weary. It is only by the Spirit of God that the people of God are able to produce praiseworthy fruit. And of course, this promised Holy Spirit was poured out 2,000 years ago at Pentecost. And God continues to pour out His Spirit upon all of His people. Each and every Christian has the Spirit of God. But now let's check out in verses 45 what revival looks like when the coin drops. They shall spring up among the grass like willows by flowing streams. Does your life be like that? God wants it to. Revival is portrayed as people rising up like weeping willow trees that spring up through the tall grasses because water is now poured out and is ever-present. And then in verse 5, notice the ecstasy that, that revival Generates. Look at how the people of God now respond. This one will say, I am the Lord's. <laughs> and another will call in the name of Jacob, I belong to the people of God. Another will write on his hand, the Lord's. Look. <laughs> and by, and name himself by the name of Israel, I belong to God's people. Listen, instead of doing the good works to keep God at a distance, the people shout to each other, I'm the Lord's, did you hear me? I know, but I got to shout it again. I am the Lord's. Look at my hands. I know it seems silly, but I wrote the Lord on my hand. I belong to him. This is a picture of what the Spirit of God longs to do in each and every one of our lives. It's complete revival. Revival changes us so that we're no longer trying to make a name for ourselves by the works that we do. 
but rather God's name upon us is what matters most, is what we treasure. And so we're at rest. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit, to surrender absolutely with great delight. Listen, ponder what God is saying exactly here. He is saying that he will pour out his spirit, his spirit upon his people. The source of our revival, the means by which the flesh is to be defeated, is the spirit of God dwelling in the people of God. That is the only way. That is the amazing promise we have. And so the question is, if God has poured out his spirit upon all Christians, then why is it that so many, if not most Christians, lead weary lives? I'm glad you asked. The main reason, it's the pride of our flesh. Please understand this insidious reality. The sinful nature which still resides in us, it swears that it can do this Christian life without much help. And so it is only when you and I realize that, that and come to realize that we're under a spell by this old nature. We are under a spell. And that our flesh can never make us to be the people we long to be. Only then will you be ready for the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. This is what the great Apostle Paul needed to experience himself. Remember in Romans chapter 7, I encourage you to read it at some point. Paul describes how the Holy Spirit renewed his will to desire to do God's law. But he also saw what? Another law in him. The law of the flesh. The flesh, Paul's old sin nature, battled within him so that he does not do the good things he, he wills to do with his restored will. And it's so bad that Paul comes to the end of his rope and he taps out. You guys ever watch some mixed martial arts battle? Kind of bloody, kind of gruesome. Two fighters beating each other up until one is knocked out or is, has to tap out. Tapping out means your other opponent's got you. You're pinned to the mat, blood's coming out. You're in so much pain, you realize there's nothing you can do. And so yeah, you tap out and say, I'm done. You won. I'm surrendering. Paul taps out. In Romans 7, 24 and 25, he says, Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. The coins drop for Paul. He understands. There's a battle in him that will rage on unless something from outside comes to take over. Paul came to the end of his rope. He realized that he was wretched. Now understand this. Yes, Paul was genuinely converted. Yes, he was born again like you and me. Yes, the Spirit gave him new life and a new will that desired to honor God in all things. Paul did not tap out over that. He tapped out over ever having tried to think he could do God's will in the flesh. He considered himself wretched for even attempting to do with that which only the Spirit of God could do. Let me ask you, have you gotten to the place where you tapped out? Have you come to realize that it's only when you've come to the end of yourself 
that God can work in you? Listen, the Christian life must be either all the work of the Holy Spirit or it is nothing. It is only the free reign of the Spirit of God that produces fruit in us. Listen, when you finally realize that your weariness problem is your flesh problem, when you finally confess what a wretched person I am forever thinking I can do the Christian life, when you finally tap out, the coin drops deeper, and you become ready for the work of God as a revival in your life. That's where Paul takes us in the book of Romans. After tapping out in chapter 7, he shows us what revival looks like in chapter 8. In chapter 8, as you know, it's all about the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of God operating in God's people and how it kills off the old self. For context, earlier Paul writes, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and it does, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. All right, put that in your head for a bit. And then he said, Therefore, we are no longer debtors to the flesh. In other words, listen, here's what he means by that. Stop looking at that old sinful nature of yours like you owe it something. Like it is something you must keep around. You know, after all, we have a long history together, that old sinful nature in me. Christian, are you ready to be done with the flesh? and its power upon your life? Well, then here's how it works. Chapter 8, verse 13. It's very, you could, you could easily just read right over it, but let us not. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Did you catch that? It is by the Spirit that we put to death the flesh. Listen, God's attitude towards the flesh in you is that it must die. That must be our attitude too. This means nothing but absolute surrender on our part. It is to, to pray like, Holy Spirit, kill off my old self. Kill it off. Put to death my flesh. And it is then when we pray prayers like that, we can watch out for the Spirit to work. Listen, understand this. This is this not a complete undoing of how we've lived every day of our lives for the most part. I mean, it's foreign to us. It's, it's like living underwater like a fish, right? Our flesh won't want to die. It will argue with you. It will flatter you. Your flesh will remind you of how good self-righteousness feels. It will point to some work of the flesh achievements in the past and give you a gold star. It will lie to you and try to get you to feed it. Just one more day. But for the only way forward for those for whom the coin has finally fully dropped is the way of the Spirit. For it is only by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh that you may live. Grace Church, for us to live out our motto, alive in Christ, the Spirit must put to death the old you. 
Do you understand that? But it only can happen when we come to an end to ourselves. I like how Andrew Murray describes our new life. Here's what he says. The will of the creature, remember this is God gives us a restoration that changes us to where we really do desire to honor God, right? We do, right? You do as a Christian. He says, the will of the creature is nothing but an empty vessel in which the power of God is to be manifested. It doesn't sound like a whole lot of work, Pastor Mark. I, I felt like I should, you know, you know, you know, go out and do stuff for the Lord, you know. Isn't that how I become, you know, empty vessels in which the power of the Spirit works. He later adds, God wants you to be a living vessel in whom the power of the Spirit is to be manifested every hour and every moment of your life, and God will enable you to be that. That's important. He adds that. God will enable you to be that. This is not your work to be that. It's his work in you. You know, of all the things that Mark Middlecoff needs in his life right now, I think this tops the list. I need to tap out daily. Every time I have a critical thought or an angry word, I need to cry out, wretched man that I am. And then cry out, Father, forgive me in Christ. Holy Spirit, have your way in me. Let me be a living vessel in which you freely work. And know that we as a church would surrender absolutely to pray, Lord, forgive us now. Holy Spirit, fill us now. Use us now for your glory. Listen, can you envision this in your life right now? You can, can't you? Can you see how living as an empty vessel, wherein the Spirit of God has his way in you at every moment of the day, frees you? Can you imagine how all the weariness of the Christian life disappears when God has free reign in us? I think you can. That is what revival in Isaiah is all about. God knows that his people desire to do his will, but his people are incapable of faithfully following through. As Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so revival to revival, true revival is not the work of man, but it is the work of God in man. God reforms his people, and God revives his people. In his reformation, God gives us his divine will. And in his revival, he gives us his divine power. This is God's way. And it is our only way. Let's pray. Father, we reach and grasp these promises in Scripture. We receive them now that we are not the people we want to be and we cannot fix that but you can help us to be a people who repudiate the flesh who want to kill it off to no longer keep it on life support and we're thankful that your word promises that your spirit will put to death the flesh in us help us as a church to desire this above all things Maybe love each other well because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us richly. 
And may our community around us experience this welcome. May they experience a release from the weariness of life. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.